Welcome to the Childhood Cancer Hall of Champions podcast. Our mission is different. We're not about numbers, cures, donations, or research initiatives. We want to dedicate our platform, childhoodcancerhall.com, and this podcast to children age 0 to 21 and their families who are affected by childhood cancer. We want to share their stories, celebrate their lives, and create a community and support network that's forever free for these families. Whether you're a child, sibling, family member, friend, or someone who wants to learn more about the subject, you are welcome here. It's a safe place where we can lift each other up, educate the public, find new language, and let the stories live on. Let the families not be defined by cancer. These are their stories, legacies, and living memorials. say that, you know, Anna and I got to know Wyatt through the short video. It landed in our inbox for um, Childhood Cancer Hall of Champions, and we ended up watching it. And um, Anna had a very, very emotional um, reaction response, and I did as well. So, um, so Anna, actually, do you want to share a little bit? Yeah, uh, it was actually this story and the video that made the biggest I wouldn't say impression but hit me the most <laughs> I can't explain the reason specifically um but it was the one that was closest to to my heart when I had to because I was the one that uh, put the story on the website so <laughs> I put I read it with care, the, the the story, and I also watched the video. And yeah, so I'm excited to to hear more from you. Got you. Mm-hmm. Was that the football team uh, video? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, it was specifically when Wyatt was speaking, actually. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah in that in that video, um, that's only the the second known uh breakdown that he ever had about his whole experience and you can see that in the video where they asked him how he felt about it and then um he broke down and we actually had to stop filming for a little while um when we were putting that segment together with uh BYU TV so um that was uh emotional for us to to see because as as his parents he he refused to talk about um, a lot of how he felt about the situation. Yeah, he didn't want to be defined by it. He just wanted to be known as a normal kid, you know, and not be known for his cancer. So, yeah. 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 Mm. And you mentioned that was the second time for, for him to break down during that video. Was the first time outside of the video shoot? What, what triggered his first emotional the, the first one, as we understand it, which we weren't there to witness either, um, happened at school um, mm-hmm. with his sixth grade teacher, I believe. Um, and I, I'm not sure the conversation, maybe you know a little bit more background on that one. If I remember right, it's just, I think she mentioned it was around Thanksgiving and they had been, you know, talking about what they're thankful for in the classroom and everything. And of course, most kids were talking about, you know, Xboxes and toys and games, you know, that kind of stuff. And why his was, you know, just for the nurses and doctors that care for him, you know, and I think it was either around that time or once he found out it was back or something, it was, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it's like one, once it was back, his cancer was back. I think he, it just kind of sunk in one day and it just, it was one of those weeks that he had a rough week and he just, luckily he, it was like during a recess or something like that. So he was just in the classroom and with the teacher. So it wasn't in front of the whole class and everything. So mm-hmm. I think it, he just had had a stressful week and it kind of all balled up together. <laughs> and then he just, he broke down a little bit. And I think it took his teacher by surprise, but um, she just was there and loved him and everything. And he was good about five minutes later and went on his way. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And and that uh, sixth grade teacher, um, we've become very good friends with. And in fact, Wyatt asked her to speak at his funeral and she did. Wow. Wow. And she was kind enough to offer to be, she'd been in the military up 
she enlisted when she was like 18. She was only in for a couple of years and then got a medical discharge, but she offered to do an honor guard as well. So it was pretty cool. Yeah. Between uh, yeah. her, she was dressed in class A's and uh, one of the sheriffs that we have gotten to know uh, here in the community, uh, between the two of them, they were both dressed in class A's and acted as his uh, honor guard through the funeral. And, uh, and then Wyatt was able to uh, request of Deputy Dutson, the sheriff, um, to be, uh, to lead the motorcade to the uh, cemetery. And so they were able to run lights and sirens the, the whole uh, distance to the, to the cemetery, which was kind of cool. That is very cool. I think, you know, he was so young. He was maybe only 13. And um, I, I just, I look at him while he was speaking there. And, you know, I'm, by the way, I work in marketing, digital marketing. So I have a lot of experience in just studying people and their gestures, their expressions. And, and just like Anna said, he left me, Wyatt left me with such an impression. And then I look at this kid and you just want to give him, you want to give him a hug. You want to be his good friend. There's always that, you know, like made me think about, wow, he's 12 years old. And yet I, I really want to get to know more about him. So there's something really special uh, about his presence. And, and then in the story that you've shared with us, I also noticed that he had the same impact on a lot of people, you two directly, of course, but it just sounds like he really impacted a lot of people around him. Are there any stories that come to mind you'd like to share with us? <laughs> um, you know, Wyatt, through the, the goodness and kindness of a lot of people towards him, particularly, like you say, and towards us as a family, as a whole. Um, he was able to do a lot of experiences, have a lot of experiences um, that for love nor money, we could put together for him um, between, the, yeah, never, never be able to put that together between uh, the BYU football team, um, the Utah Jazz, the basketball, professional basketball players uh, team here. Um, some more uh, friends that we've gotten to know that <clears throat> allowed Wyatt to uh, go ride in a Lamborghini race car out at our local racetrack one one Saturday morning. And, um, you know, a lot of the things with the jazz, Wyatt's make-a-wish was to meet all the jazz players. And that happened in September of 2018. And then... Um, there's a, a company here in, in Utah that uh, bought the rights to the patch on the NBA jersey. And mm. his, the, one of the co-founders of the company, his father um, ended up contracting, uh, I believe it was throat cancer, while he was in college. And so he ended up moving home. And then they started this company, which is now uh, worldwide. It was purchased. Uh, by I think it's SAP out of Europe and um, in fact he's the one that just bought the Utah Jazz so he's he's just purchased the actual uh, basketball team but the patch instead of putting his company name Qualtrics on it um, he started another foundation called Five for the Fight where it's kind of a uh, a group fundraising type thing that, that they ask you to donate $5 and it goes towards cancer research. Mm -hmm. And I think they've at this point raised 24, $25 million with this program. And <clears throat> Wyatt was nominated to be part of last year. So 2019 into 2020 season, um, five for the fight, which they'll choose five fighters uh, at least this past year, and um, they represent cancer fighters all throughout the world, and they're honored by the team. Um, they were able to sign a symbolic contract and actually become a team member for one day mm -hmm. um, and got paid $5 <laughs> to do that. And, um, and then they were able to do a special uh, basketball, um, what do you call it? Kind of during one of the breaks, they were able to go out on the center court and be recognized. 
um, and they had really good seats uh, for the game right behind the, the uh, scorekeeper, and um, it was it was a lot of fun. So that those types of experiences and and the impact that Wyatt had um, because of his involvement with the Jazz and and that community. When Wyatt passed away later that day. Um, Donovan Mitchell, which was what Wyatt's favorite player, uh, posted a tweet about him and um, and then dedicated that night's game to Wyatt. And the team actually um, put together uh, a little, uh, what would you tribute, call it? Like a tribute. A tribute to Wyatt that they broadcast uh, over air and that they had on the Jumbotron there at the at the arena, mm-hmm. you know, basically uh, honoring him and and uh, paying the respects to him as well. So for him to be able to do that was an honor for him. Um, we feel blessed that he was able to do that, but he did. He touched hundreds, um, if not thousands of people. Um, just to look at him and a smile, I mean, you instantly fall in love with him. And, and like you say, want to learn more. What's, what's going on with this kid? Why is he so happy knowing that his time here is limited? Mm. And uh, why has he, he got such a light about him? So it did. It, it, it makes people wonder. And with those opportunities, I mean, like with the True Blue Hero with BYU and everything, or we had some local news anchors that we got to know with KSL, a local channel five station. And, you know, like I said, most of it is because of those opportunities that we were able to share his story and everything. And, um, then people started following, following him. I mean, we run into people all the time. They're like, Oh yeah, I followed his story or we went to Hawaii and, um, somebody recognized him out there. They're like, Hey, why they knew him right off the bat. So they, they knew, got to know a story that way, but it opened up opportunities and, at his viewing, I mean, we had a steady stream of people for three hours and it was an hour and a half wait. And we had 750 people or more at his funeral and people were coming based off of, oh, well, they heard about him on KSL and felt like they had to come, you know, just, he had that kind of an impact on people, you know, wow. just by sharing a story and being willing and just not wanting to be defined by it and just being, being himself, you know, which is amazing. So, yep. Due, due to no fault of our own. <laughs> wow. So, I'm going to jump in because as I was reading the story, something else hit me, both the video and the story itself, is I thought, wow, he has incredible parents. I That's something that I it hit me, that made me happy and so I felt really comforted by your presence and and just how open-minded you are, how positive you are, because that, that seems to be his energy. So that energy level was very well aligned. And, um, for example, as you're talking about these experiences, one thing that hit me again from these two video and blog is that, wow, look at, look at the past year and a half. You know, he really brought us to all these places and together as a family, we enjoyed all these interactions with other people and with the world as opposed to let's all just stay home and let's, but it's just that welcoming, that energy of exchange. And part of that is education. And so much of it is love and tenderness. And I, that's also another reason I really look forward to, to chatting with you. So there are a lot of parents, families, siblings, people who care um, or listening to the show. And I wonder what are some of the things perhaps you learned as parents who were thrown into the situation that nobody chose? And, you know, what, what did you learn along the process? And what are some of the maybe advice that you may have for other parents? Um, well, I think once we got thrown into it, but we just, like, you have an opportunity to act, react one of two ways. You can just kind of getting into the whole sulking, why, why me, you know, I want to just be in a padded black room somewhere, you know, and just, you can go one of two ways. Which which the thoughts were there. Trust (laughs) us, the thoughts were there. Or we just were like, okay, 
it is what it is. And you take it and just, you know, press forward, you know, and like I said, you just, I think we, the positive rate, the positive positivity runs through the family and everything. And so luckily I think we just were like, you know, it is what it is. And it, we look at back at it now, once we found out, um, it brought our, our ward, our community together. Um, it gave them a common goal to focus on of like, you know, if we need to pray, bring us meals, notes. I mean, it just, it brought our community together and it uplifted us. And it gave us opportunities to travel to places that we've never been to before, meet people that we are now fantastic friends with that we wouldn't have met otherwise. Um, and I think at the beginning, it, you don't think about it that way, but it's hindsight is 2020. I mean, it, it opened opportunities that I wouldn't trade for the world. You know, mm-hmm. it was an unfortunate circumstance, but I mean, like I said, we, Wyatt made fantastic friends in Seattle. So when he reoccurred back in March of 2019, um, before doing a surgery again, we had asked him, you know, for spring break, where do you want to go on vacation? Do you want to go back to Disneyland? Where do you want to go? He wanted to go back to Seattle to go visit his friends that he made while we were up there in 2018. Um, we traveled to Memphis. He learned how to play pool. We got to know some fantastic fr- friends and families while we were out there, you know, and so and that way, since it was our second time around, we, be, we were able to share our experiences, our knowledge, our suggestions, you know, um, along the way. And like I said, it's just, it's an unfortunate, unfortunate circumstance for anybody to go through. But I mean, you then have a common bond with other families going through similar things. And even though it's different cancers, you know, that kind of thing you know, you have a common goal. If you want your child to get better, you know, beat the cancer, or if you do experience a loss, then you can sympathize with others along the way. So it just, you learn, unfortunately, a lot. Medical, medical terms between, between the different types of cancers, what recurrences are, and it hits you like a ton of bricks. But, you know, unfortunately, we've become very educated, I guess you could say, um, along the way. And that way we can like I said, shared knowledge and experience. And um, like I said, we wouldn't trade it for a world because we now have friends that we wouldn't have otherwise had. And And, um, I guess our our perspective might be a little different um, when it comes to our our faith, um, (laughs) our our belief that, um, you know, we, we have a hope or a belief of where we came from, why we're here, and where we're going. And so for us, that brings us comfort and solace. Um, we believe we'll see Wyatt again, and we'll be able to be together again as a family at some point. So that brings us comfort um, long-term. Short-term, day-to-day, some days are good, some days are not so good. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, we we try and look at it as uh, the best we can, and it's okay to have those bad days. And um, it's okay to have good days too. Mm-hmm. And you know, we we do miss him a lot. And um, you know, there's there's things that obviously we will miss out on, um, but we try not to focus all of our attention on that. I mean, it's, it's always there in our, in our minds. It's, it's in, in all of the family's minds, you know, the what ifs, um, the things that we may or may not be able to, to do, um, you know, our, our circumstances uh, is different than everybody else's. And, um, you know, our, our trial that we went through is what we could uh, handle. Um and we chose to handle it. I guess that's that's another thing is we we could uh, we could have either, like you say, locked ourselves out and said okay enough, and and got mad at the world and mad at God and mad at everybody else, um, or or just say okay this is this is our experience and we need to make the best of it at the time, and um, and that's what we've chosen to do. And, and that's what Wyatt chose to do. And, and to be quite honest, it, Wyatt's choosing um, and how he wanted to react to the situations made our lives as parents so much easier um, because he, he, 
he would let himself think about it for just a little bit. And then he'd be like, nope, that's it. Let's move on. We've got to get, you know, let's do something else. Um, he was always positive. Um, even until the end, you know, he always, he never lost hope. Um, but at some point along the, the progression, we, we stopped fighting against the disease. Um, cause we knew that fight was, you know, it was over and we started fighting for, uh, experiences and, and memories and, and everything that we could pack into those last three months. And we look back on it now and it's like, we, we didn't have 10 minutes of free time in, in those last couple of months, which is awesome. And, um, and we're grateful for that. We're, we're so grateful that we have those memories. We know sometimes uh, families don't get that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that, that, that hurts to think about. Mm -hmm. um, but we're, we're grateful um, that, we, that we did. And, and we almost feel guilty in some ways of all the experiences that we got to do um, with, with him and with others and with his friends and um, classmates and all that kind of stuff. So wow. I, I guess our, our advice is to, to don't give up hope. Um, but sometimes we have to refocus what the fight's about. And, and when the disease says, okay, that part of it's done, then, you know, change the focus to making those memories. And that's, that's all we have. That's all we get at this point. And I think that was the best thing too, is like when, if White felt up to something and he had the energy and said, he's said he wanted to do, do something, we're like, okay, do it. You know, we're, you know, spend the time, do what they prefer to do. Because looking back on that, just like, I think we would have had regrets if we didn't mm -hmm. take the opportunity to do those those things together um you know yeah the family time is huge you know it's just taking that quality time and spending time together even though it can be difficult you know it's just that's what we look back on is thank heavens we have the time or do do spend the time together you know and I think that's most most families that we know that have gone through the same thing as we have or similar um it's they're blessed to have that time with and they wouldn't trade it for anything. It's like, you don't want to miss out on any, any, any minute, even towards the end, you know, you're just like, take any minute that you can, even though sometimes it can be exhausting or hard. Um, you just value the, the time that you do have. So. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's so lovely. Anna, do you have any reflections or questions? I have many reflections. <laughs> <laughs> I'm absorbing everything you're saying. <laughs> No, I didn't notice that you, it's not maybe a question, but I noticed that you said that you focused on creating experiences for Wyatt and that he wanted that. And it just made me think how that becomes really important rather than having things. Um, yeah. we've, we've, got, we've got a whole room full of his stuff, right? But the, the stuff doesn't mean anything to us without the memories behind the item. Um, mm. We have to remind ourselves that all the time because it's like, well, we'd never, no, we can't sell that car because why it was in that car. Mm -hmm. and, and we have to remember that the item is what led us to have the experience. It wasn't the experience that the item was. It, it was a stepping stone to have that experience and have that memory with him now. So um, the, the memories you, you, for loving or money, um, memories are the most important thing and time spent with family is the most important things. Um, it was the most important things to Wyatt. And, you know, he was able to spend a little bit of quality time with every one of our uh, families on both sides and his cousins. Um, and, and, um, spend some one-on-one -on -one time with each one of them while he was filling up to it and was able to do that. So I know they're, they're, they're grateful for that too. And it was doing things that they enjoyed, you know, like playing pool in the basement, playing yeah. on NBA 2K on, you know, a switch or going golfing, you know, playing golf at Top Golf or bowling, you know, just 
activities, but like, you know, he had fun hanging out with his cousins, you know, he had a cousin Brogan who's close to his age, you know, a couple years older. And they just, they had a lot in common between sports teams that they root for and, you know, just golfing and, you know, playing sports themselves. And they had a little good competition or rivalry going between them, <laughs> which made it kind of fun, but they enjoyed that time together because they enjoyed common, common things, but yep. mm. It's it's so comforting. Yesterday, Anna and I had a meeting about this in preparation, and we had the same reflections. We're smiling. I'm not a Christian, but I also very much believe in the afterlife and um, that our life and experiences are kind of continuous. I really strongly believe in that fascinated by it. And I was telling Anna that I, you know, I, I feel like we it, you know, so far to say, if you're lucky, you have a hundred years on this planet. And, and that's, you know, most, most of us don't really get there and things would happen. But I was telling Anna that when is my turn? I, I'm excited to meet Wyatt. I, I, you know, I selfishly, I was like, this sounds maybe too selfish to the parents, but I, you know, I feel like I'm showing up with open arms because I think he's such a, he's such a cool kid, you know? And I thought I, I was telling Anna, I said, I look forward to it. He will welcome me with open arms, showing me all the cool things and toys to, you know, and, you know, I, to, to show me, to welcome me because, you know, I, I felt like, wow, it's, I never had that feeling before. It's like a little out of body experience. Like, why am I feeling this way? But I think his smile and just how clearly he was thinking and the way he was articulating, um, and addressing his fear, but then to be able to, like you said, acknowledge it and to be able to move on as opposed to um, denying it, which is completely understandable too. But it was sure. just, yep. you know, really interesting to see how he was, he possessed so much than what I know now being three times his age. And, uh, and then you mentioned someone wrote down whether it's Anna, maybe it's Doug, maybe it's Emily wrote that this makes your children or makes in particular why I grow up really fast. And, um, but at the same time, I, I see him as a teacher. I see you both as teachers to us. Well, and I think, you know, in those experiences, you know, he, when we found out he had his cancer, he was 10 and a half, you know, and he was a typical kid back then, you know, and I think we always had hope, you know, but along the journey, once it reoccurred, he, he, I think at that point, he, he knew what was coming, you know, and what to expect. And, um, by the time he was like 12 and a half and before he passed away, he just, he was very wise beyond his years. It's, it's like, we say he was like an old soul in a 12 year old body. You know, he was pretty wise and would ask questions mm -hmm. that were like, how, how do you, you know, even it, it baffled us. You're like, where are you learning this from? And you're <laughs> like, we, we kind of figured there was that those who were educating him beyond us, you know, and helping him out. And he would then have a question and we're like, if we need to, we'll research and try to answer your question. But I mean, yeah, he would come up with things that were like, where are you getting this from? And yeah. it helped teach us along the way as well as um, if we weren't sure, we would absolutely find out for him. But um, yeah, I think, you know, at 10, you know, you're young and you're just, you're just going along with it, but he it, with what we had to learn between all the pokes and MRIs and procedures and traveling and, you know, just radiation. And, you know, like I said, he kind of knew what was coming in most aspects after you've been through it once. Um, so once he, he would know what was coming and he became educated and it was tough because he got severe anxiety with getting poked with a, getting poked for doing MRIs and everything because he knew it was coming. So he, he did get some good anxiety and everything towards the end, but I think he just, he would know, he would ask questions, but then he was ready. He was ready to move on. And like I said, his, some of his teachers, fifth grade, like his fifth, fifth grade teacher would be like, but he's got cancer. I'm like, don't focus on that. Treat him like any other kid. He got to be in the school play, mm -hmm. you know? And I'm like, don't, don't use it as an excuse. I think that was the, the, the other thing is like, don't mm -hmm. use it as an excuse. Grade mm -hmm. him, give him homework, do, do everything like a typical kid because we didn't want it to define him or use it as an excuse e either. It was like, oh, well, you can get out of that just because, because you have cancer. You know, we wanted him to expand and learn and have those experiences and everything. And like I said, I think that was my biggest thing is like, don't, 
let him get out of it just because of that, you know? <laughs> That's so. Which, which I'd be just the opposite. I'd be like, no way. I'm not doing that. I got cancer. There's no way you're talking me into doing that. <laughs> I guess I had high expectations. I'm like, oh, okay, you got to learn what you can. And it would, yeah. You, yeah. You want me to do what? No, uh not happening. <laughs> In oh. the room? No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mom, I've got cancer. I can't clean my room. <laughs> and I think uh, his, his teacher had talked about that. Um, in her in her talking to in her at the funeral and everything she kind of like i think because she's a school teacher she just like i it's a uh, very it's ironic yeah the wyatt is the one giving the last assignment to, to the teacher yeah. and she's like this is so unfair i would give him at least give him a redo <laughs> but um just yeah it just it's hilarious that you know they tie it in that way of you know giving him giving them the last assignment and, you know, just, yeah. we got a good chuckle out of that, but yeah. And of course I had another point and I've had fleeting thought. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is one I'm hearing so many beautiful moments when um, you, you prepare for a moment and you treasure every second that you'll have. And the last three months, I really want to dive in a little bit more there as well. Whereas, you know, I've lived long enough and then I've been in, at funerals where people had no idea things were happening, whether it's a car accident, whether it's something that happened so suddenly mm -hmm. um, due to a heart condition. And people didn't really get a chance to say or were to share that moment together. Sometimes they felt the reflections I've heard, they felt silly for the things that they did right before that or the day before, like how mm -hmm. they would live their lives like that the day before if they knew what was going to happen. So, um, and it just now I'm hearing laughters and, you know, people are, you take it, it's a serious situation, but if you flip cancer on its head and, and really treat it as, you know, as an event, you, you know, in this case, you can't avoid, but somehow you're almost making fun of it and you're laughing at it. And uh, it, it just, it's phenomenal. I, <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah. It's, uh, we've, we've often thought about that too. You know, is it, was it better for us to know that we have a certain amount of time versus, versus something tragic and, and, and quick. And I don't know, it's, it's, it's hard both ways. It's so hard both, both ways. And, and, you know, for us, as, as as a younger, uh, what was I, ten ish or so? Yeah, you were eight. Eight. Um, I lost a, a six year old sister in a tragic accident like that, and you know that that's hard. A lot of that's blocked out because of the age and 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 how traumatic it was. So a lot of that's blocked out in my mind. Um, and and you know we we wouldn't change what we have gone through. We wouldn't change um, the experiences. Um, those last what, two weeks were just brutal. And even as brutal as they were, Wyatt's personality was still there. Um, he was still uh, engaging and still, uh, still had his humor, um, even though he wasn't supposed to. You know, when we started him all on 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 the medication to calm him down and to um, ease the pain and and that type of stuff, we were supposed to lose all communication with him. Mm -hmm. And and that only happened like twenty four hours before he passed away. But. Yeah. So so that's that's a little blessing for us. It's a little miracle for us that we were able to still uh, interact with him, and right right up to, to uh, right up to the end. But I think what's hard about that, I mean, yes, if you lose if you lose somebody in an instant, you kind of have maybe that regret or the, the miss, missed opportunity to say goodbye. With Wyatt's, you know, the last two weeks, luckily we brought in family, friends, you know, everything up until about 36 hours before he passed away, just to come see him and say to say their goodbyes. So we, we opened the opportunity. I don't know if most people do that, but I mean, we brought everybody, like yeah. a, a lot all, of people to come see him. All of our families came. Um, um, a few of his close friends here in the neighborhood and their parents, um, his, his school teacher, 
uh, and spoke at the funeral and and Other. and Deputy Dutson, you know, Deputy Dutson was the the last one to see him. Mm -hmm. But what was amazing with that is that we gave everybody the opportunity. I think they appreciated that because it's like you said, sometimes you don't get that chance to say goodbye. So we were open to that. Um, but at the same time, those last two weeks, seeing him deteriorate, not eating, losing leg strength, but still fighting to get to the bathroom, you know, those things that is in your mental mind frame, like this is just so not right. You know, it's just seeing, seeing that happen. You're just like, it feels like a, a drug out. But like the last nine days, it just, it was brutal for us just because we're like, just go ahead and go. Because we were, I think at one point we're just like, just go ahead and go just because, I mean, we saw him not necessarily suffering, but, but you know, just, he still had the fight in, in him and everything, but we don't wish that on anybody when it does last for so long and everything. So that being said, it's just watching somebody deteriorate is just as brutal or just, it just is excruciating in a way. Mm -hmm. So I don't think either way is easier or better than the other. I mean, sometimes instant, you're like, at a point we were hoping he would just go just because of the fact that it was getting drug out for so long, you know, so. But at the same yeah. time, at the same time, if he were to have gone when we said, okay, it's, it's okay. You can go. Then we'd probably have regrets saying, Oh, we, we didn't mean it. Just <laughs> time out. We'll take it back. Um, mm. So, you know, at the end, at the end of the day, we're, we'll take what we got. We'll, we'll take the trials that we have and, and experiences. Cause I don't, I don't want someone else's. They can handle theirs and we can handle ours, but we can't handle each other's. <laughs> right. yeah. And like, like I said, luckily White still had some of his wit to, with him towards the end, like his sixth grade teacher, Mrs. Botello, who spoke and everything came to see him and he just was like, okay, don't, just don't cry. <laughs> he would just make comments of like, we're like, of course, or he ended up in, you know, depends. And he thought he'd be like, I don't like these underwear. And we're like, honestly, we're not never going to buy these again. We promise. <laughs> or once he realized he was in a depend, he's like, am I in a depend? I'm like, yeah, we figured it'd be better just in case. And he's like, so you mean I've upgraded? I'm like, oh my gosh, he still had his, his wit to him. He still had his personality, which we make, we got a good chuckle at the end. I'm like, okay, good. He's still, you know, trying to be himself even throughout the whole thing. Yeah. So, yeah. I appreciate your honesty so much. And Anna, please feel free to cut me off. Um, it, as I tend to ramble, because when I so appreciate what you said, I don't have children, but I lost my dad 10 years ago due to esophageal cancer. And when I heard uh, why it was comfortable at home, neighbors, families coming to visit him, if I were to do it again, I would fight to have that happen for my dad because he passed away um, at the ICU. So in in every doctor and every palliative care doctor's words, that is the worst way to die, which I learned very quickly after, and I've devoted the past 10 years interviewing palliative care doctors, really learning about that because I felt like I now am knowledgeable enough, will not let that happen to my mom, to myself or anybody I love. And I want to just educate that. And when you said the moment I, I know that, you know, Anna, maybe you haven't experienced this firsthand, but when I saw my dad at, at the ICU towards the end, uh, the doctors told me that he had no response at that time, it was 24 hours. He waited for me to travel all the way from the U.S., routing many different places, go to his hometown. So it was 36 hours as opposed to 24. He was still alive. That was a miracle. I went in with my scrub and like disinfecting everything and, um, I touched his hand. My mom's like, reach for his hand, touch his hand. He gave me such a firm squeeze. Mm. And when I tell the story, the doctors think I thought I was hallucinating or imagining something. He just gave me a really hard squeeze. And I just, I remember speaking to his ears and I said, hey, it's absolutely, it's okay for you to go. Like, you know, not that I'm giving you permission, but you can mm -hmm. let go now. You want to stay, stay. If you want to go, go. So I am, I, you know, love you forever. I never, ever thought, because for two years leading to that point, we're putting him on every clinical trials. We are doing everything. We're spending the money we absolutely did not have. We ready to bankrupt the entire family, no doubt, mm -hmm. so that he could just live another day. And I couldn't believe after all that, I said, just let go. And the next day, my mom picked up the call. I was just, after breakfast, I just sat there. I just felt that, you know, he was ready to let go. So 
I so appreciate you sharing that because whenever I do share the story, people look at me as like, are you crazy? Like, do you, I'm like, I honestly felt that. And it gave me such relief to know that he's not, he was not suffering anymore. Right. Yeah. And I think that's how we felt too. It's just like, even those last couple of weeks, we had moments where we're just like, it's okay. You can go, you know, honestly. We and, and that was selfish on our side to, to ease our pain that we were going through. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we, we would say a little, you know, a, a prayer or two and, and just say, you know, please heavenly father, just let Wyatt go. Mm-hmm. Because I think I wouldn't say it's necessarily selfish on our part. It's just the fact that we knew that he was suffering or declining. And just us as parents is like, I would, I'd rather, you know, not have him suffer for that much longer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think in a way we were just like, yes, please go. You know, if, it, if it's your time, if you're ready, go ahead and go just mm-hmm. because of the fact that we, we knew he was declining. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it, granted, we never know, honestly, know when our time is, you know? And so we had to, we had to let it go and just, you know, and we were thankful for the extra time we had, but I think it, that's, I wouldn't necessarily say it was selfish on our part. I think it's just, just trying to ease. I, I say selfish yeah. in the way of, of trying to ease our pain uh, towards the situation, I guess. So it's selfishly acts asking for him to go to ease our pain. Yeah. But you know, when we were going through all of that and, and, and through the whole last few months, you don't think about a lot about past the, the moment that they, that they pass away. Mm. And, and that's been a whole different ball of wax for us. Um, he was our only child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's that not- was pretty quiet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, and why it was the same way, because he he wanted to be at home, because it, that's what some of the questions they asked. They're like, well, do you want to be at the hospital? Does he want to be at home? I'm like, we, he absolutely want to be at home. I mean, like, he would, he definitely would not want to be in a hospital. So we're like, we'll make sure that whatever needs to happen needs to happen. So he's, he's at home and comfortable and where he wants to be, you know? Mm-hmm. I would love to get to know Wyatt a little bit more. And I... One thing we learned is we don't want to be defined by cancer or any illness, any disability that um, that's kind of the core of what we're talking about. And that is the case. We spoke with a number of parents and, and kids. That's the one thing we hear. I grow, it doesn't matter if you're in school or grocery stores. Um, you're not you're not being defined by this. So I would like to, to chime in and Anna, please feel free to ask any question that comes to mind. I would love to know. Wyatt, some of Wyatt's favorite dishes. If he was like an ice cream kid or he sent some sort of chocolate dessert kid, please tell me about what got him excited in the food department. <laughs> <laughs> so he was one of those that he, his favorites, uh, I'm like, are anything with cheese with a side of cheese, <laughs> um, cheese pizza, cheese quesadilla, grilled cheese, hot dogs. Chicken, mac and, mac and yeah. cheese. <laughs> uh, chicken strips. We found double dipped fries while we were up in Seattle. That was that was a favorite. Um, when we were in Hawaii, he found out he found a love for bar- barbecue pulled pork sandwiches. Um, and and uh, snow cones. <laughs> snow cones. Yeah, oh, he loved you I, know yeah. ice cream, chocolate shakes, M and M blizzards. Uh, you know he just he. You name it, he. I think he he loved it. He loved soda. He loved you know all the stuff that probably isn't the greatest thing. But at, at that time, you know, you're we just like he was. He was a skinny sixty five pound kid up until he was like twelve. What am I going? Okay, you are so little. Depending, especially with all the stuff that he ate, he just was a stick because he was so active and had a high metabolism. All he did was play, and he was running around like crazy. So, yeah, he just he loved ice cream popsicles. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, just you know. Typical kids stuff but, sandwiches, you know. But never ate a hamburger. <laughs> How come? That we don't know. We don't know. I, I we tried several times to get him to try a cheeseburger or a hamburger, and it just did not interest him. So, um, you know, it was it was chicken nuggets and fries. So instead of a instead of a hamburger or cheeseburger, which which is totally fine. <laughs> But yeah, he loved, like I said, chicken strips. While we were in Hawaii, he, we had a luau and he tried, I had him try a pulled pork on a roll that we had. And that's what kicked that off. And then we found a restaurant that had like a massive 
uh, pulled pork sandwich and he had like three quarters of it the first time. I'm like, sweet, <laughs> perfect. Something different and new. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he just, some of the typical kids foods. And like I said, he li- loved to keep himself. I mean, if he wasn't in the house, he was always outside running around playing for, with friends, basketball, sports, Nerf gun wars, you know, Legos. I mean, typical, he just, he kept himself so busy. He just was, he was a fun, energetic, skinny kid. So I'm like, eat whatever you want. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> wow. I'm going to be, keep going at Love it. Yeah. <laughs> wow. What about, um, what was he really into, uh, let's say outside of school? Uh, sounds like games, martial arts, chess, uh, clothes, I don't know, like design things. Uh, oh, let's see. So, well, he likes a pair of Nike shoes that a while ago. He got into this uh, Donovan Mitchell, Sp- Spider Mitchell shoes. He loved, he loved the shoes. He went through a phase and he was pretty laid back kid when it came to clothes. He'd always be like shorts and t-shirts, nothing particular. But, but he was color coordinated. Oh, that's very important. Nobody's business. I mean, the shoes and socks and shorts and a shirt, it was it was a color coordinated uh, feat. <laughs> you know, so he he really uh, he really did well with that. And and his hair, he always had his hair kind of spiked in a in the a gelled up. Yeah, yeah. I think he, he like I think like mom that for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean he Legos. Uh, we have uh, you know shelves and shelves of Legos downstairs, and um, yeah, he loved anything. He enjoyed watching um, Harry Potter. We got him into that, but his big thing was at about eight. We got him into Star Wars. You know that was that was a big deal. Star Wars. Um, that he got into the Mandalorian and, you know, oh. so what he enjoyed was just spending time, spending time with friends, playing sports outside. Like he loved basketball, riding bikes. He'd ride his bike up to a local store that they have like a, a soda shack in a mm-hmm. sense called Quentin. He'd ride his bike up there, go get treats at the store with friends, ride, ride bikes home, play at the park with friends. Um, it was mainly, you know, play, play sports, Nerf guns, Legos. He loved to play NBA 2K on his Nintendo Switch with his friends, he would hook it up to our screen down downstairs, especially when it was cold. He loved watching the Utah Jazz games, um, or if when we could attend him, he'd go. BYU was the other thing that was huge, was watching the football games. Mm-hmm. And he would, att- you know, attend the football games. He was very educated on who, which player was what, and we couldn't keep up with it all. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, he was very educated between sports. Um, and, and then towards the end, um, you know, when, when we were in Memphis for the amount of time that he was, at St. Jude's, um, the Ronald McDonald their house there had a, a pool table, and he he picked up pool and was pretty darn good at it. Became a pool shark. Yeah, pool, pool, <laughs> pool shark. shark. Yeah, <laughs> we figured if if uh, we joked with him, he says, "Hey, if you're you're good enough, we we might be able to figure out a way to get your college paid for." Yeah. <laughs> and we would invite like his, his sixth grade teacher over in Deputy Dudson and they would come play play with him once we got back from Memphis. But there was one day we, uh, well, I had taken him to lunch one day and we ran into Deputy Dudson and like five or six other deputies and they got, why it was funny, he's like, did you plan this? I'm like, no, of course not. And we got talking about pool and all the sheriffs were like, well, we want to come play sometime. So there was one day we ended up with three sheriff's cars in our driveway parked up. And it was, you know, after we knew Weiss cancer was terminal. And so we have three sheriff's cars in our driveway. And so the neighbors after they're like, what was going on? <laughs> Why do you have all these sheriffs at your house? And we're like, oh, don't worry. They were just playing pool, <laughs> you know? And uh, yeah, so his, his big thing was just playing pool, close, back to close. It just, I mean, he, like I said, he found a love for certain shoes. He did become fashion, like, you know, he loved certain things like black backgrounds with like, bright colors or neon color. A lot of it was like the bright neon colors, you know, and everything. But um, he, he did become very particular. Like he, he got certain pairs of pants that he's like, okay, I have to have those, you know, yeah. <laughs> jeans or certain like skinny yeah. pants or whatever, you know? So he did get into a certain fashion or like, like he loved NASA. Always, he always had to wear sweatshirts because he always was freezing. It could be 85 degrees outside and he was still would be cold. So he always would be wearing hooded sweatshirts. Mm-hmm. Um, and he'd always wear almost knee-high socks. He would get like socks, socks that were be long enough and he would stretch them as far as he could to get them, make it up to his knees. <laughs> yeah, that, that's I saw kinda, that. 
that was a trademark of his is, is he always wore really long socks. Flat hats. That's the other big thing is yeah, he had to have flat, flat hats. hats and... yeah. Wow. Yeah. What, what's a flat hat? So is it's it... the, it's the brim that's flat oh, instead of being like, the curved kind. It's a complete oh, flat look. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a skater kid, the skinny jeans and yes. the hoodie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anna, what a, what a happy conversation. What, what are your curiosities? <laughs> No, uh, you mentioned Hawaii. I was wondering what your favorite, uh, what your best memory of the trip was. To Hawaii? Yeah. Um, I, I think it might be different for each one of us. For, for me, it was being able to play uh, golf with Wyatt um, on Kauai uh, at a course that was right next to the ocean. So that was, uh, that was very special to me. And, um, you know, as far as an activity with him and then there's, there's, a there's a LDS temple that's there, uh, on Oahu. And I think probably that's the best memory I have of him is we were able to go and, and do, uh, some things there, uh, for his ancestors, um, for one of those days and and he chose to go do that we said we can either go do that or we can go try and find some dolphins if you want to swim with dolphins and 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 he chose to go do that so that's that's something that i look on as, as a fond memory again for him to choose anything that he wants to do and he he, he focused on trying to help someone else so and those those are definitely probably his top favorites. It's just spending time at the beach. Um, he, we did some kayaking, kayaking, and then they had one of those huge tricycle bikes that we could do on the water and just spending time in the water, seeing the sunset, sunrises. Um, the Polynesian Cultural Center was fun, fun to go spend time with him. But I think it was just going on, you know, going on a hike and checking out a waterfall or just, um, I think it was just mainly going and eating a snow cone or, <laughs> uh, he found different foods they like when we're just like, yeah, you know, yes. Awesome. You know, so just, just spending time. I think, you know, just like I said, the beach, the beach is always a favorite and he spends some time on the water and mm. hang out, you know, hang out that way. But yeah, it's kind of hard to pick just a favorite, you know, yeah. there's so many. Yeah. <laughs> what a lovely question. I, I can, I am just envisioning with a flat hat, skinny jeans, the beach, <laughs> the, I can I just imagine like this whole painting of uh, a painting that tells his story. Um, I didn't even look at the time. I, I thought, oh, we've only been talking for 20 minutes. Um, but I look at the clock, it's almost an hour. So I I want to ask just a, maybe a question related to um, what are some of the stories that you hope that we will bring forward on this show? What are some of the things that y you wish uh, that we could do? to really celebrate these children's lives as well as their family. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we're learning, so there are no wrong answers, anything out of whack. So I'd love to hear that from you. Well, and I think we just appreciate that the stories are told, you know, just getting to know the kids, you know, just because they had a life too, you know what I mean? So, and it's, it helps to bring back their memories and we always have plenty of memories of him, but just um, being able to reminisce about him in general. Um, and he, he always, he was always thinking of other people. Um, and, and I, I see that trend a lot in, in kids that are going through similar circumstances. They're always worried about the family. They're worried about mom. They're worried about dad. They're worried about their siblings. And, um, you know, why it didn't have siblings. He's worried about his mom, what mom was going to do with all her time once he passed away. Um, and, you know, why it's, we were sitting there trying to think about what can we do to remember his legacy? What are things that we can do on our side to uh, prolong the amount of time before those memories start to fade for us? And he was thinking about other kids, complete opposite of what we were thinking about. And um, th this kind of ties in with his legacy for us. Um, he started thinking about what brought him comfort. And 
going through the experiences and all the hospital stays and, and, and all of that, it, at each one of the stays, he would get something, whether it was a little toy or um, one time we had a pillowcase um, on a pillow as soon as he came out of one of his procedures or we got to the ER and they gave him a blanket. And so what started triggering in his mind was what can I do to help provide some of those fun things that I got that brought me comfort while I was at the hospital. And he, along with Emily, um, he said, let's start with five boys and five girls. And they he put together a, a little package that had a blanket, a pillowcase. And his big push was a beanie. And a, and a beanie so that, you know, you, you can try and stay a little bit warm. And because it's not like it's overly warm at a hospital, you know, you're usually freezing. <laughs> yeah, freezing. Yeah, and, sure. and, and, and with most of the kids not having hair, really short hair, that, that it's cold. Mm-hmm. So that was important to him. Um, and so we did those 10 bundles and, and were able to take them up to our local children's hospital. And then um, towards the end there, um, we had a neighbor that thought, what a great idea that Wyatt's already started this. What if we put a, a amount of bundles together that equaled the number of radiation treatments that he had gone through up to that point? And at that time it was 73. So she was like, Project 73, you know, so she called it Project 73. And then his radiation was more than that. So she's like, Project 73 plus. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. And um, so long story short is we've, we've started a 501c3 foundation in Wyatt's name. And the name he picked was Wyatt's Comfort Bundles. And so through a lot of help of other people, um, and, and Emily is the one that runs it all. Um, so I found, I found a way to keep myself busy. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So in, in these Wyatt's comfort bundles, which we were able to put together and deliver 106 of them before Wyatt passed away. And in, in those packets, uh, at the end of the day is a, is a blanket pillowcase beanie or comfy socks fuzzy socks Mm -hmm. uh, and a toy or um an activity of some sort stuffed animal something along those lines so something that's comfortable and something that can be fun and emily's been able to put together we're up to 1280 at this point so um and and we're delivering them to again our local children's hospital um, to the local uh, Huntsman Cancer Institute, which is kind of where he had some radiation. We've been able to send them back up to Seattle to the Proton Center up there for kids and up to their children's hospital in Seattle um, as, as these bundles um, go to provide comfort to kids going through something that, like you say, none of us in, in our right mind would choose this path. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's something that, that he was adamant about doing and, and for, for Emily in particularly, you know, it, it helps spread his message. It helps spread his legacy. It helps spread, you know, what a, what a great kid he was and he is and, and provide comfort to other people going through hard circumstances. And it's been great. We've been able to send some to his friends that are still getting treatment out in Memphis. But some of our families that we got to know were just like, oh, you know, we've got to send you something, you know. So it's been nice seeing them, you know, still connect with those families as well. But I think it's just, just, it's the least we can do, you know, because we'd love to give back. We had so many people do so many kind things for us when White was in the hospital, you know, we had neighbors who, another thing, oh, another favorite of Wyatt's is donuts. So they would come up to the hospital and bring donuts, you know, like a dozen donuts or um, just little action figures. People, people were so kind to do notes to him, uplifting things, bring him toy, you know, bring him stuff to keep him preoccupied because, you know, you kind of get bored up there, but he was given so many fantastic things that were just like, we love to pay for it, you know? And he was, like you said, he was so, I think he is self-service self, uh, driven 
Um, thinking about others, you know, he didn't, like I said, he didn't really want to focus on himself really. So um, it's a good way to still give back and carry it on. I'm like, I actually, oh yeah. Like, so this is our. Yeah. Wow. That's the way that, that's yeah, a- we put together these cute little bundles for him. That's, that's yeah. one pack. That's, that's one, one pack. That's a one pack. Well, so it's like, it's like it's got the blanket in the back and then, you know, we put in, you know, we've got his a beanie is a football, you know, there's a pillowcase in here somewhere hiding, but yeah. So we put these cool packs together and that's what we're sending off to everybody. As I think that's his favorite color too. Cause I saw him in some sort of Jersey in the video that reminds yeah. me of yeah. that color. We, we, we got the green stickers going there. So, you know, for, for families going through, um, treatment, um, you know, that's, that's your focus. You're trying to make your kid comfortable. You're trying to make, uh, make that experience as pleasant as possible in, in such unpleasant circumstances. And most of the time in those cases, you are just in survival, survival mode. You know, you're just taking it day by day and just trying to do everything you can. So, um, yeah. and the advice, I mean, most of the time that the advice that we give just other families is, you know, just keep up the fight, try to keep positive, reach out to others. I mean, it, it helps your own mental sanity because like I would go out to Memphis and I was out there by myself for like six weeks and it was just me and white. And then sometimes you're like, you can't tag off with somebody else. And that we know there's so many that, that are single parents doing it on their own. And, um, you know, talk to people. I mean, that's the, that's the big thing is because um, sometimes you just need it for your own mental sanity is just talking to somebody else. And luckily it's other people going through similar circumstances, but just reach out, get to know other people. You know, I think finding friends that are in similar circumstances helps a ton. Um, and I know sometimes it's easier, you know, sometimes with some people that could be a hard circumstance. It's just, you know, sometimes you probably do would want to keep it to yourself, but I mean, but that's what helped us is just reaching out to others, Mm -hmm. sharing our experiences, you know, and everything. And just for us, it was, it was sharing Wyatt and sharing all the experiences that, that we went through as a family. Um, we kind of chronicled all of it on our personal Facebook pages from the very get-go, and we were completely open and and honest about everything that we shared and and brutally mm-hmm. honest. Yeah, we didn't sugarcoat anything. We didn't sugarcoat a thing, and you know that that helped people follow the story, and it helped us um, get through those pretty lousy days. And it, that that made it easier too because we'd have so many people text and phone calls and everything. We're like, it's just easier just to throw it all out there. That way, it should answer their questions, you know, and everything. And like I said, it's just easier just to throw everything out there and just say, okay, here's where we're at. And then people could focus on certain things of like, oh, this this could be a need, or oh, I can pray for this, or mm-hmm. um, like I said, it, it, uni- it unites everybody because they know what to expect or what's going on, you know, and just they would anticipate those updates every single day of like, okay, so what's going on? We haven't heard from you what's going on, you know, and they'd want to know the story, you know, and it just that it helped us because now we can look back and just say, okay, we know and have those memories of the stories and be like, oh, yeah, that's what happened this day. And yeah, it's like a family history in a way because we can have that story to Mm -hmm. have and share moving forward as well. And and we we do feel pretty lucky. Uh, We think our experience, as hard as it was, is quite easy compared to what some of the other families and, and the kids are going through. Um, it's definitely tough as you're going through it, but yeah. like I said, a lot of it's hindsight, you know, looking back perspective. And, you know, our, our heart goes out to them and to the kids and to the parents and to the siblings. Um, you know, don't, don't give up. And, and none of us do this by ourselves. Um, you know, there's there's people rooting for us that we don't even know, and I think there's um, you know people perhaps um, on the other side that are rooting for us too, and um, it all it all be okay in the end. It mm-hmm. just takes some time. Thank you for saying this. It's so comforting to hear because I know a lot of parents are struggling. We've seen messages where. Parents are writing messages that scare us and they they want to follow along with their child. They want to trade places, which I completely understand. 
and they're they feel like they're living without hope. Um, so to hear your message. And somehow I just love, love that wall behind you because this whole time as you're talking, I'm looking at Wyatt, like he is part of this conversation. Mm -hmm. He's smiling. There's a portrait photo of him. And I'm thinking how proud he is to be part of this conversation, how proud he is that his parents are, you know, living, uh, you know, life um, in the way that he wants you to carry on um, and to, uh, you know, live, to live his legacy, to, to share his stories. And it's just so wonderful. And there's just no word I can put in summarizing that. So thank you so much. 